Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name's Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys, Todd Yates and Rohit Malhotra, to talk about some Formula One. We've had an off week, our first real off week of the season, and uh, there's just a lot to talk about. You know, like we, we got to recap a little bit from Australia. We got to look ahead to the next race next weekend. First and foremost, how are you guys doing? I don't have five donut shops to my family's name, so I will defer to the gentleman on the panel that does have five donut shops in his family's name. How are you doing? I'm fat. <laughs> That's all I got. I ate a million donuts. I was on travel last week. I went to go home to visit my family, and uh, I heard a really dumb, funny joke. Nothing out of the joke, like a saying uh, that was related to Formula One. It was, what do we want, Formula One? When do we want it? Meow. Hey. Yes. I'll try to bring more F1 jokes to the podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you can top that one. Like that, that will be repeated ad infinitum this weekend yep. with me and anybody that I come across in the greater Portland area. Doesn't matter if I know you or not. I'm just going to go there. Meow. I don't know if you guys have seen. There's a pretty famous <laughs> clip. I think it was from Coda like two, no, almost four years ago now. I think it was a 2018 race. They place microphones all over the track to pick up the car noises. And one of some fan at uh, Circuit of the Americas found the microphone and you can hear it on the broadcast. And he's the like the <laughs> presenters are talking and the guy's just on the microphone going, meow, 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 meow. It's amazing. Yep. Yep. It's so it reminds good. me of the uh, Super Troopers meow mm-hmm. game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, I will give a boxing dad joke. What is Manny Pacquiao's favorite fruit? Apricot. <laughs> oh, oh man. Well, we're off the rails. I don't have any dad jokes, sorry guys, but I appreciate them. I appreciate them both. <laughs> I was going to say a little bit of spoiler for our listeners. Our definition this week is track limits and we clearly need it because we've already gone off the track. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, where do we want to start? So we 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 haven't had a review yet. So, or or we haven't had a new review, I should say. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> there has been no joke. The last review was written by some handsome wordsmith, Rowit M13. It was left on February twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, and if I do my math correctly, that's nearly two months. So I was thinking about this and I talked to my beautiful co-host here. If Max Verstappen is ever to win a race again, it's going to be because one of you in the Exhaust Notes community, and I know there's a fair bit of you that are big Red Bull fans, will leave us a review. Because if not, our resident Oracle slash which, and I mean that in the most respectful way, I'm not trying to be degrading to anybody, Julie Wood, I'm not going to use her government name because I don't know who's listening. She has clearly put a hex on young Max because anytime that man dares to set foot in a race car on a track and Julie doesn't like the cut of his jib, she's putting the pox on him because she has gone two for two with her bold declarations of Max is not going to start or is not going to finish a race. And lo and behold, it's happened. So Red Bull Nation, I don't know if you're a nation, if you're a continent, write us a review. Otherwise, the man's not scoring points. Please write us a review. Those Max DNFs are screwing up my fantasy big time. <laughs> yeah, we we could use we could use a review, some feedback, some uh, you know, it, it, 
give us the motivation that you want for reviews. If you've got something that you think would motivate other people, leave us a review with that suggestion and we'll incorporate it into a future episode of the podcast. If you leave us a review and at the end you type in a funny phrase, we will all try to work that into the conversation. We are not above whoring ourselves <laughs> and our semantics to get more reviews, more eyeballs, more money. So it's like Joe Buck, whenever he gets a random word from Conan, where I think his was Jujubee, and he has to work that into the actual World Series broadcast. I'm not going to say that any of us are on Joe Buck's level, but I think we can do it. But we need your participation because we're only as good as the listener. So end of PSA, but... God damn it. Please write us a review. Please. Oh, man. So, Australia. What do you guys think of Australia? It was... Now that I had time to reflect on it, I feel like it was a better race than I initially felt during the live stream. It felt pretty processional. We're on there chatting it up. By the way, check us out on the live streams. Uh, We're going to be doing them a ton this season where we watched the race live together and chat about it. Um, but I feel like it was good with the caveat being for Australia. Like you never want a race to be good because of accidents or anything, but like, let's be honest, that spices things up a little bit when you see, you know, Carlos, pushing his car too hard because of a bad qualifying and a bad start. And then he comes sliding across the track, which looked way too close for comfort uh, in real time. But after further review, it was relatively safe, I guess. But like when you see something like that, like a, a driver pushing his car too hard and making a mistake, that makes for exciting racing. Um, you, you never want to see it like just straight up, like people crashing and that causing quote unquote exciting racing but i think there was some some good racing um you know max almost got charles on one of those safety car restarts and he was able to hold him off so that was that was really exciting um and i mean the best news of all team papaya strong p5 p6 my boys getting getting the work done and i know the track just probably suited the mclaren a little bit better this time but it was progress and you got Mercedes up in the fight there. Um, so it was good to me. What'd you guys think? I thought it was a nice shuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, I think Charles Leclerc winning further establishes the credential and the narrative that Ferrari's back. So that's reassuring because lo and behold, as good as Mercedes has been, they've still been probably a couple gears behind both Ferrari and Red Bull. The thing that continues to baffle me is we have the new Roman Grosjean, and that is Nicholas Latifi. And that man, outside of maybe Drake, has broken more Canadian hearts than anybody I can think of. And I also felt really bad for Seb because, lo and behold, this has been probably as miserable of a start to a season as I've seen a driver have because he was out the first two races for COVID, and then now... Remind me, guys, I may be misremembering. Did he even finish the race, or was he the second retirement after signs? He was second, second DNF, yeah. Yeah, he he crashed out. I, I mean, I know he's got probably a million jelly beans at home to kind of alleviate the pain of crashing out, but 
I'm worried about Racing Point because lo and behold, two years ago, they were the talk of the town because they had the pink Mercedes and everybody thought, man, they are going to break up this top two or top three because of how seemingly well they copied and pasted the previous year's Mercedes. But they've now regressed and I'm convinced that they might have switched bodies with Haas because Haas, while not having as good of a race, still perceived to be a very professional, competent race team, which is something we haven't been able to say about that group in the last two years. I saw someone refer to the Aston as the JCB 22. And I thought that was the funniest damn thing, because if you're not, not aware, JCB is one of Aston Martin's sponsors and it implied that Seb was trying to drive a tractor. So it's good, good stuff. Good Twitter banter. Yeah. There was a lot of good uh, memes and animated gifts and stuff going on from that. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I think you you kind of nailed it with that. It's like it was a great race for Australia, right? Like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of changes going on. There's not a lot of passing. You know, like if there's strategy involved, you know, yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff going on there. But like, I guess like too, we should probably just run through like the the finish. So you have like. Leclerc, number one, Sergio Perez with Red Bull, uh, number two, George Russell, Mercedes, number three, Lewis Hamilton, number four, Lando and Ricardo in five and six for McLaren, Ocon, seventh, Botas in eighth, Gasly in ninth, and Alex Albon in tenth, which is probably the most exciting part of the entire race. Sands a few things here and there, I guess. But we we as we were watching this race and talking about it, we were all just wondering what the hell was going on with Alex Albon because he literally did not stop. Like he ran the hards the entire race. Like right? One pit, I should say. One pit on the last lap, and he still proceeded to score in the points. And I know one of the questions that I was asking my esteemed co-host Todd was is this more impressive than anything George Russell has done in the past, let's say three or four years. And you brought up the lap in spa, was it? And that was pretty impressive. But the more and more I think about it, it's just, this is how I can tell a driver is truly a great driver because you've give them that Haas car and they not only make it look competent, they make it in the points, which is something that is extremely difficult to do given the quality of the rest of the midfield. And I would say Haas, or sorry, I would say Williams is still, having midfield aspirations because they're not there. I think that's a bit of a reach, right? Like they, they scored a point. They're in second or last. I think it was amazing strategy or kind of the luck of the draw. Like I, I still don't understand why they didn't pit during either of the safety cars. That was a little bit bewildering to me, but the fact that they, and we were talking about this on on the live stream because I wasn't sure about it at the time. And I think Aaron found some wiki page that they just took a time penalty if they didn't pit, but it actually is. We read, I read the rules after it is a full disqualification. So he had to pit on the second to last lap, which basic, you know, based on how the strategy worked out, he was able to pit, uh, and still overtake, um, uh, Joe Guan Yu, no, Joe Guan Yu. I can't say his damn name right to save my life. Joe Guan Yu, 
uh, for 10th place and get that single point, which by all accounts put them in, you know, ninth in the constructors because of that one point difference between them and Aston. I completely forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> that whole thing happening is how time flies. It's only been a couple of weeks since a race, but uh, I think it really gave Williams a boost there. And maybe they are, as, as Nick said, uh, you know, looking at midfield aspirations, but that one point could literally make the difference for them not finishing last in the constructors. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's also interesting because we, we kind of realized it, you know, I don't know, maybe two thirds of the way through that both Albon with Williams and Magnuson with Haas had not pitted and were running the original hard tires that they started the race with while everybody else was at at least one, most at two stops. Um, which is really interesting. Cause I mean, I think like this season has been really fascinating to see all the drivers try to figure out the tires, right? Like there is no consistency in like, you know, I just feel like they had it honed in before where it was like, okay, we know exactly what we're doing. We know what we're going to get out of these tires, but even to, you know, uh, you know, like Lewis Hamilton, right? Like there's times where, and take everything he says with a grain of salt on the radio. Right. But like, there's definitely times where you both expect more from him on the tires he's on and also are surprised what he's able to do on the tires he's on this season. Um, especially with all the, you know, with all the Mercedes, you know, talk of the team struggling, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, you're third and fourth this race. So you're not struggling too badly, in my opinion. Yeah, the race pace has been somehow way above their qualifying pace. Like, I felt like George had a decent weekend from pre-practice to qualifying, but Lewis just felt like he was all over the place. And if this is like Mercedes at their lowest, like we know they're going to figure out the porpoising. All the teams are, they're going to figure out the developments on the car. All teams are to some degree, but if this is them quote unquote struggling, like they're going to run away from the rest. Like, I don't know if they'll run away from the rest of the field. Cause they have to not only catch up to Ferrari and Red Bull, but surpass them to run away. Uh, but I think they'll be in the fight by th- at least the summer break, if not sooner. It- no, I was just going to say they are taking podiums because of the incompetence of the teams ahead of them. Like not once have I seen anything this year that lets me know, okay, down a straightaway, they have the faster car, especially when compared to Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull. What I am interested to see is how much of this implosion continues. I know jokingly we referred to it because of the hex that Julie has put on, but are we going to see anything other than a Max Verstappen podium next race? Because it seems right now he's very much in the all or nothing phase of his career because he seems to be petulant if he doesn't get his way. And usually when he doesn't get his way, it almost seems like he doesn't even want to race as if it's some form of silent protest. And granted, that may be too extreme on my end, but it is startling to see somebody that level of talent just give up because they're not having the proper equipment. And maybe that's too harsh. So I'll probably rein that in as I continue to talk, but 
Mercedes continues to just be professional and get it in spite of the fact that it's anything other than right place, right time. And I like Mercedes a lot, but they are very much just kind of feeling this out and just saying, okay, yeah, we we can be in this title race if Red Bull doesn't want to be in all the way. But I don't know. I just see some moment in the season where both Ferrari and Red Bull are going to pull away from them because they're going to get their shit together. And that's really more directed towards Red Bull than anybody else. But Ferrari, keep on doing your thing because who knows how long this Ironman streak can last for both George and Lewis. Yeah, uh, I don't even have anything to add there. It's it, it, there's so much unknown. Like your your point to to Max, and the last thing I'll say is it, it's it's really surprising to see that this is a crapshoot after how strong and reliable that the Red Bull power unit and car necessarily in general has been. But for them to go, you know. DNF win, DNF, like, what is that? I guess we're looking at a win for Imola. Like, if that's the schedule that we're Assuming we get a review. What's that? Assuming we get a review. Otherwise, Curse is still on. I haven't forgotten. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) God, I hope she doesn't give the Oracle's curse again. Um, I mean, he won here last year. All signs point to him, like, in this track. But... I just I can't believe that they went from basically the most reliable car in the paddock paddock last year to to you know to one of the worst. It's pretty surprising. Can I ask a can I ask a question about the history of Red Bull? Because you kind of alluded to it, but I guess I just need to be hit over the head with this. Is this the most inconsistent this team has been since its inception, or at least in this modern era of Formula One? You're on mute, Nick. I would say in the last three to four years, maybe, but definitely not prior to that. I mean, it took them a long time to get up to the pace that they're at. And that slow build and that refining process is what has, like, in my opinion, ultimately made them the greatest team that's out there. You know, like they, they might not have won the constructors last year, but, you know, Max got the title. And I think that they are regardless of of you know what mercedes says about their performance and et cetera, et cetera, i think red bull is the is the team to beat you know like they might not have won last year on on you know the the constructors side of things but nobody was coming into the season thinking anything less you know they were thinking we have to beat red bull if we're going to win you know and and you know ferrari has come out of the gates kind of taking that on and, and, you know, living up to it. I think Mercedes is kind of in this spot of, you know, still figuring some things out, but, you know, not far enough away to where they're worried about it yet. Um, but Red Bull to me, I, I am kind of curious what you, what you think about it, Todd. Cause I didn't, I didn't see what the issue was this last or the Australian Grand Prix. I didn't see what the issue was with the car, but it's just, it is it is a new car it's you know new problems right but i do feel like red bull has had little things come up throughout the years even more recently and dealt with them maybe more efficiently and maybe i'm thinking you know maybe it's just because it feels like we're further than five races into the season or four races into the season but you know i i 
I feel like they are better about wrapping things up and getting back on uh, on track. Also, I feel the same way about Mercedes, right? Like this is this is definitely the first time with Mercedes that I can remember in the last, you know, seven, eight, maybe even 10 years that Mercedes even, even, you know, like acknowledged that there are issues with the car and not to say that there couldn't be some, you know, misleading quotes being put out just to give people the idea that the car's, you know, not under control yet, but it genuinely feels like they're frustrated. Um, you know, even though they are at third and fourth in this last race. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you would have told me last year that Mercedes was going to fall off and Lewis Hamilton was going to qualify in like 14th or 15th, not due to mechanical failure or something going wrong with the car, I'd have been like, you're high. You're smoking the good, good. But like they were the team to beat forever to your point, Nick. Um, for the last eight years, they've won the constructors, um, and to well, it's earlier question. Red Bull, up until maybe three, four years ago, had pretty pretty serious struggles. They went if you calling back to Drive to Survive. They used to have the Renault power plant, which was notoriously under unreliable, and they had those great scenes between Cyril and um, Christian. Um, and then they went to Honda, which had just come off of the McLaren being in the McLaren car, which was, again, notoriously unreliable. And they kind of built it up slowly together. And if it wasn't going to be Mercedes this year, that was, you know, number one, it had to have been Red Bull, like Nick said. So it's it's pretty staggering to see that they are not closer in the championship. Um but yeah, I mean, the first failure they had was, uh, I think, fuel pump related, like vapor lock. And the second one, I can't remember if it was a fuel line or some sort of water line or hydraulic oil line, something like that. But I remember it being some sort of a line or a seal that at the part literally cost a dollar, dollar fifty or something like that. And that was the cause of the failure. So it was something super, super small and minute that caused a DNF, which is crazy to think about in the millions and millions of dollars that they spend on on developing these cars and building them and making them as bulletproof as they can you know it's like razor's edge like it's either the fastest thing on earth or a complete hunk of junk i don't know and it's just crazy to me that you'd think like oh this like super high horsepower engine or something exploding that makes sense but not like a rubber hose would cause cause a failure like that so I'm looking at the constructor standings right now. Obviously, Ferrari's in first place. I did I forgot, or maybe I didn't realize Mercedes is in second with 65 points, and Red Bull is 10 points behind them. I will ask both of you, after this race in Imola, will Red Bull be ahead of Mercedes or will they continue to be behind them? I think they're still gonna be behind. I mean, I just don't see this is the interesting thing about points in Formula One, right? It's not easy for two for two teammates to outscore two other teammates that significantly. You know, it's kind of common that you would see, you know, we've we've seen it a bunch this year, right? Like we've seen uh uh, you know, like Leclerc and Sainz 
you know, kind of sandwiched between, you know, sandwiching some other player or some other driver, excuse me. And that kind of, that kind of setup always makes it difficult. So you would have to have, you know, Sergio Perez, you know, blocking and guarding and, and, and max out front, you know, but it would really take a lot for that to happen, right? You'd have to have Max up front. That's like, what, 26 points for the win? 18 for second, something like that? Well, this is a sprint race, so I think oh, there's yeah. like 32 points on offer if you had a perfect oh. perfect weekend. 32, 35, something like that. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it's possible, but it's really, really unlikely, especially the way, like, Charlotte Claire is driving, right? I mean, he is just leaps and bounds ahead of everybody right now, in my opinion. And remind us again, what is the sprint race? Because is it just how much, how many laps is it? 22? It's so we talked about race distance on a previous podcast. So a full race is 300 kilometers. Right. Uh, This is a hundred. Oh, wait, am I screwing that up? I believe it's it's a third race distance. Third, whatever the normal race distance is. So it depends on the track. Again, like like we talked about, each track is different. Um, a different length. So it's a third of whatever the normal race distance is, and there's no pit stops. So it's everybody... It's it's kind of a weird mix of, you know, everyone going balls to the walls and pushing the entire time because the tires aren't going to run out or shouldn't run out. But it's also hasn't necessarily produced what they wanted with everyone going flat out. It's more of like, Oh, you know, I'm in P3. Don't screw it up. Let's start the race from P3 because the sprint race decides the starting order for the Grand Prix. Exactly. Uh, And then to your point as well, the other big change was the fact that last year points were only awarded to the top three drivers. This year it's to the top eight, Mm -hmm. which is going to be very interesting. And then those also count towards the drivers and the constructors championships. So I'm thinking we may see a reevaluation of what a grand slam looks like. Because if I'm Charles Leclerc, let me try to go ahead and be the first to win the sprint race, win the fastest lap and win the Grand Prix, all while continuing to showcase the Ferrari Renaissance is back. Yeah, I going back to what Nick was talking about earlier. I don't. I would be way more surprised to see Red Bull leap over Mercedes in the constructors than I would be to see Ferrari distance themselves even further from the rest of the pack. I think Carlos has had as kind of a little bit of unluckiness, and he's still getting coming to grips with the car. I think his overall pace he's shown so far that he is, you know, just a tenth or two off of Charles's pace in general. And he's had a little bit of, you know, bad luck and um, other factors that have come into play. But I think I could really see a Ferrari one, two here, um, you know, coming come into this Imola race. Assuming there's no crazy craziness in qualifying or or the sprint race, I could really see them just come in here and 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 run away with it. I mean, we saw Charles out front by 20 seconds last race. Granted, part of that was like pit strategy, but that felt very 
Mercedes 2020-ish. Totally. I mean, not only that, I thought the most telling thing was Charles getting on the radio and saying, can we please go for fastest lap? I feel good about it. I feel great. I think I can do it. And then gently reminding him, hey, genius, you already have it. What's the point? Like, that's a certain level of execution that I think all of us aspire to have. Or at least hope that our Formula One teams have that level because that was a masterclass in that sense. Yeah, so I'm reading up on this sprint race setup, right? Um, so it is a little bit different this year. Officially, it's 100 kilometers, no mandatory pit stops, you know, basically flat out if you, you know, whoever wins, wins. The driver who takes P1 will now receive more points, so eight points rather than three, and the sliding scale down all the way to eighth place. So there's more points available for everybody that in the sprint. Um, the other thing that I didn't realize that is interesting, last year the driver who won sprint was awarded the honor of pole position. However, this year the driver who sets the fastest time in qualifying, which on sprint weekends takes place on Friday, will be given the accolade. The driver who takes pole position on Friday will start the sprint in first position. The driver who wins the sprint will start P1 in Sunday's Grand Prix. So in a way, they've basically turned this into NBA All-Star Weekend because you have different events that actually impact the race order. So it's not only the NBA All-Star Weekend, but it's also Major League Baseball's All-Star Game where the winner of said All-Star Game actually has a say in the championship in a sense. Yeah, and and... Keep in mind too, like less practice, right? I think you get two practice sessions. Well, there's three now, but only one matters. So the 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 setup of the weekend. This is a good time. It's all to talk about it. Um, It's Friday morning. Well, Friday, yeah, I guess morning for them is P one or free practice one. And then qualifying. Qualifying is on a Friday. And then Saturday is FP2. And then the sprint race. And then Sunday is uh, FP3 and the race. So it's almost makes two of the free practices re- like redundant. It, maybe like little tweaks to set up balance because you can only change, you know, tire pressures, the front wing, etc. Um, but you're, you're locked into Park Ferme, which means... Uh, I can't remember what the translation means, but you are not allowed to make any other setup changes, you know, to ride height or suspension damping or anything else really, other than those few minute things after FP1. So you're, you have an hour essentially to figure out your setup and then you're there for the rest of the weekend, which is pretty crazy. And I know why they do it uh, to like, make the events of the weekend as far as live attendance go up because now qualifying is on a Friday. The sprint race provides entertainment for those people going on a Saturday and then you have the GP on Sunday. But I this is a great time to ask this question. How do you guys feel about the sprint race setup? Because they produced some amazing happenings last year in last season if we think back to it. Excuse me. But overall, I think it really screws up the flow of the weekend in like all the nerdy minutia that people like myself get into, like how people are doing in practice. It's like almost like shoot first, ask questions later. How do you guys feel? I mean, 
I a hundred percent agree. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's a total wrench in everybody's experience as a fan. Right. But if you only get to go to one, one day of the race weekend, it means that there's more, there's more value to go to those other days. So, you know, in, in a situation where you get to go to a, a Grand Prix and you can only make it on a Saturday, you're probably going to want to go to a sprint race, right? Because then at least it feels like you got to see a race instead of just qualifying. As somebody that loves manufactured drama, as evident by my TV watching habits, as well as my appreciation of Drive to Survive, I think this is something very much for the new fans because to the point that Todd just made, the new fans aren't necessarily going to be as technically nerdy about things and they may not be the exact traditionalists that I think Nick kind of alluded to. So it's more bang for the buck and there's more excitement. And then to kind of follow up on what park farmé actually means, the term park farmé is a French phrase that translates literally as closed park. It traditionally refers to a secure area at a circuit where cars are checked over by scrutineers for legality and safety. These checks include weight and dimensional measurements, which are carried out using laser technology. In modern Formula One, park farmé also refers to certain periods of time during a Grand Prix weekend where cars are in their garages, but are placed under the eye of a scrutineer again. So once again, they've been a little bit redundant. So thank you for that, motorsport.com. But it just means that it's almost like being in a museum exhibit. You just put it there and you just watch people watch it to make sure that there's no hanky-panky, so to speak, with regards to what's happening with the cars. And there's our definition of the week. We'll take it. Why not? <laughs> no, I mean, it. to, to play devil's advocate to myself... It is exciting in the fact, like Nick just mentioned, that you get if you're going to a Grand Prix weekend on a non-race day, you get some sort of action that matters, not just people testing out their setups and stuff. But it also creates a lot of a lot more jeopardy because if you get your setup wrong in FP1, it's wrong for the rest of the weekend, and you can make minimal changes from there. So I can see that aspect of it. Um, that it's a little bit more jeopardy. Uh, but I don't know. I I felt like I like the idea of it, but they, in my opinion, just put this in place for Mercedes dominance over the past eight years that we've talked about a bunch of times. It's like, oh, you know, let's make a sprint race and then, you know, uh, Try to shuffle up the deck of the cards up to the make sure Mercedes. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Because I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in 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 F two, they do qualifying and then they do a sprint race, which is they take the qualifying order from one to one to eight or one to ten. I can't remember, but they flip it. So whoever qualified in P ten starts the sprint race in P P one, and then. They flip it back, I think, for the uh, feature race. Or wait, is it? Yeah, the f- feature race on Sunday. They Whoever qualified first in qualifying starts the, the basically what is their GP on, on pole. But they do it to like say, oh, you know, if these cars in F2, if this team is always that much faster, let's see it. Let's start them from P10 and see if he can work his way through the field. And there's X amount of points awarded for 
for those races as well. Kind of like the sprint race, but if they're going to make these manufactured drama, as Rohit just mentioned, go all the way with it. Put the top dogs in P10 and start the sprint race that way and then tell them to go flat out. And that's the question I wanted to ask you, Todd, as you were kind of alluding to what happens in Formula 2. You'd mentioned that the 10th place car starts in first. Are the sprint races more abridged as well, meaning not everybody on the grid gets to participate in them in Formula 2? Or is that not the case? And maybe I just misinterpreted what you were saying. No, so in Formula 1 and Formula 2, the sprint races, everybody gets to take place. But they okay, perfect. in Formula 2, they flip-flop the order of who qualified 1 to 10 or 1 to 8. I can't remember what it is. And they just say, go from there. Everybody still starts, but they they shuffle the deck, essentially, as you said. Okay. In Formula 1, same thing. Everybody starts, but they just, for some reason, give random points to only the top eight, which I think is a bit weird. I mean, I think they're just looking to create as much of a gap as possible because I don't think they want another scenario where the last race comes down to two race car drivers that are tied because it's great drama for us. But once again, once we saw that from the lens of being a member of the FIA, it essentially broke the sport because now we're still reeling from that. So I think they are trying to make sure that we don't have that proximity, which is weird because I would think that's what you would want from a governing body uh, perspective. Yeah, the, the parody makes it exciting, but we're not being the way Formula One is. We're not always going to have that parody. I think the racing, once we get a little bit more convergence between the cars, will be really exciting because we've seen that they can follow closer. But some people got this rule, this rule book very right, and some people got it very wrong. I'm sorry, Seb. It happens. Now, I'm also intrigued to see, similar to what they did with overtakes and jelly beans, like, are we going to almost see a sprint championship, meaning, like, who's the best sprint car driver? And does that also merit some sort of celebratory participation trophy, or do you get one extra point if you're the king of sprint races? Well, in, in this case, you get eight extra points, right? But it only it yeah, counts towards sure. your season total. They they're only they only do three every year or the, well right and that's what I'm saying it's like it's this mini game inside the big game so if I'm let's say pick a random midfield driver I'll say Pierre Gasly if I am continually accumulating the most points in the sprint race I feel like I should get some sort of commemorative handkerchief to showcase my dominance in this abridged version of the game it's like being the best home run hitter in a home run derby. I deserve some sort of plaudits for taking this minute portion of the sport and making sure that people acknowledge that I'm as good in the junior circuit, if you will. I mean, you could probably <laughs> say the same thing about the fastest lap, right? Because that's another like bragging yep. point, right? That I could imagine becoming something where, you know, and I, I don't see these things becoming something that is, uh, is actually like, you know, kind of, measured out, celebrated and and acknowledged by, you know, Formula One. But I do see it as ways for fantasy leagues to incorporate different things. And I think that's something that is intentional from the FIA, right? The more of these types of things that you have, the more gamified being a fan can be, the better off you are as, as far as getting more and more people involved in the sport. One thing I was thinking about, though, Todd, um, that we should probably touch on. With Ferrari being as good as they are right now, out of the gate, um, 
you know, I think I think Signs is still a couple of points behind George Russell in the in the drivers standings, but clearly the team itself is like leaps and bounds above where they were and and you know, kind of the team to beat right now. But they're also going into their home race as the top team, you know, I don't know, I guess one of their t- one of their home races, right? They kind of they kind yeah, of get, get two, two of them. for some reason. So, um, but I, I'm curious what you think about that because it's it's just going to be interesting to see how much we've talked about. You know, this might be another definition, but we've talked about Tafosi and the fan base that Ferrari has, even when they lose. And I can only imagine like how insane the fans are going to be this weekend with both their drivers at the top of the field. And, you know, the team at the top, like, like, this is like a, a recipe for like, you know, I don't know what you would call it, but like Tafosi heaven kind of thing, right? Doesn't get much better than this unless it's a, you know, end of the year winning, winning it all kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it is funny that they kind of get two home races. This technically isn't, I guess, considered their home race, but it's it might as well be a second second one for them. I think it's going to be electric. It'll be intensity intensities. It'll be like a mini Super Bowl compared to Monza, which is their home race, their home home race. Um but I mean especially after Ferrari's had the like very very lean years the past few and to have their car on top and both their drivers, you know, setting setting the pace. Um, especially if I'm right in thinking that Carlos will come back. If a Ferrari won two here, I think people would just get trampled, like, on the way to the podium. It, it'll be nuts. I mean, I, I not that I want to see people get trampled. I'm just saying it will... I would understand if it happens. It would be like Travis Scott concert or something. Too soon. Too soon. No, I was going to say Pamplona's in Spain, not in Italy. But to your point, Todd, if the prancing horse continues to prance, there's going to be a lot of prancing and just all in out skullduggery by the Tifosi or the Ferrari fans. Because like you said, this is a dry run. So imagine they do well at the dry run. It's only getting to get even more intense when they get to Monza because people are now literally seeing blood in the water, so to speak. And I will say this, the most interesting things uh, from a Carlos Sainz perspective coming into this race was he had a 20 race streak of points snapped. So I'm really interested to see how does he build off that again, because he's not used to not finishing in the points like he's been Mr. Consistency and he's continued to do it under the radar, which has made him probably the most underappreciated driver from a star team perspective. I am also interested to see how does Charles Leclerc continue to maintain his composure? Because the one thing I will say about him in his two first place uh, finishes, and I think he got second in the one race he didn't finish, was he's been the epitome of poise. He doesn't get too up. He doesn't get too down. He just races his race. Sometimes he wins. Actually, two thirds of the time he wins. So he's almost like the Sex Panther where 60% of the time he works every time. But... I keep waiting to see the adversity because that's how we truly measure the mark of a man is how does he handle those adverse situations? And it's been easy street. And I would love nothing more to see Carlos Sainz kind of stick it a little to his Ferrari co-driver, even though I don't think that's ever going to happen because now it's clearly established that Charles is one a to Carlos is one B unless something magical happens. 
i.e. Julie puts a curse on Charles as well. Please don't do that, Julie. Please don't. Please, God, don't do that. This is all speculation, but I think unless we see, which we haven't even talked about, a lot of the teams are bringing their first like large developments to the cars for this race because they finally had a little gap in the races. Um, we'll see, you know, who takes a step forward or back. Uh, but I don't see, even though Ferrari still seems to be one of the car, the worst suffering cars of porpoising. We saw that big time in Australia, especially around that, the, the turn around the lake that, I don't. I screwed up on the live stream what turn it was, but it was like where where six seven used to be, and it just um, makes that really really long curved straight, quote unquote. Um, but the Ferrari was bouncing all over the place, and they're still the fastest car. So if they bring some developments that uh, cure that in any way, I can't even imagine how how they're going to run around, you know, run away with it. But a lot of the teams are saying they're bringing some developments uh, to this race. So I'm really excited to see what the pecker, peck, Jesus pecker, uh, what the pecking order <laughs> is after this race. Now there's definitely a lot of pecking going on. I will say the other thing to watch from a upgrades perspective is we've got certain drivers that are, almost at strike three with regards to their engine. I think Fernando Alonso is down to his third engine. And I believe if he gets this engine disrupted, or maybe this is the engine that will start penalizing where he stands in the grid. And I think Gasly's on something similar. Both of you guys can keep me honest if I'm incorrect in that assessment, but this has definitely been a mechanical crapshoot of a year because I think that's what's led to the parody that Todd has mentioned is we are, th- we are seeing things that we're not used to seeing with regards to machine inconsistency, because more often than not, the only inconsistent factor of formula one, at least in the last couple of years I've started watching has been the drivers because if you have a solid car, that is a great equalizer. Yeah, I mean, uh, to Todd's point, it's just going to be fascinating to see all of this like play out this weekend because everybody plays the game, right? Red Bull, the rumors are that Red Bull is making some drastic changes. Of course, they deny all that and downplay it. Ferrari has basically said they're not going to change much, which makes sense, but to Todd's point... They're also one of the cars that's bouncing around porpoising all over, all over the place. So like they need to actually make some changes, but that also opens them up to vulnerability if they make changes that fix the porpoising, but slow down the car in any way. So um, it's, I'm, I'm excited. Like, it's kind of weird to say this, but it's like, it's good that they had the the week off, you know, like you want to watch them race every week, basically at this point, because you just enjoy the racing, but you, you want to see these kind of things happen so you can see, you know, little tweaks being made and see where some of these some of these guys can come up, you know, even to your point about Alonzo or, or Gasly, it's like those those improvements, do they do they, you know, lean towards, you know, a more efficient or more, I don't know if efficient, just like not blowing your engine, you know, like can they can they adjust things to to improve that without changing you know or or changing for the better i guess so there's so many variables that come into play that you know it's just one of the reasons why i love the sport is this kind of stuff and once you start seeing all this play out and you'll 
you'll we'll inevitably see something unexpected from somebody on the grid this weekend that's like wow that's totally different you know maybe it's like you know yuki has kind of been like a little bit low-key for where i think he should be but everything that i've seen in regards to him and like the, the training and all of the stuff that we watched in drive to survive it seems like he's in a really good spot mentally and the team seems to feel like he's in a really good spot despite maybe lower than you know what they would want from him but that also means that like maybe it's his time to shine you know like and i think those are the kind of things that really make it interesting in ways that you don't really think about as a fan until like you get these breaks and you get these tweaks and you start seeing all the 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 buzz around like oh this changed and that changed and whatnot let's hope that we see some serious developments on the Renault engine so both your points like luck luckily for them even though the engine is under you know a freeze as in development you can't develop the engine you are allowed to develop for reliability so if i were alpine i would say put all of the development into the reliability of the engine but yeah i mean even Honda or red bull powertrains need some need some work there obviously um but we have several drivers uh not just uh Pierre, I think Yuki's also had a DNF. Alonso's on three. Um, there's there's been several drivers that have already gone through, gone through a couple. So it'll be interesting to see in a couple races time where we are on the engine counts because we are going to start seeing penalties pretty early. What's what's the penalty I mean, I again? That's... It's a five place grid drop. But or it's... actually, I think it's ten. I've got it. Oh, row hit with the quick fingers. An engine penalty in Formula One is a grid penalty drivers face if they use more than the permitted number of engine components. Formula One drivers are limited to using only three engines per season. If a driver uses more than three engines, they get a grid penalty for the next race and must start further back on the grid. So it's it like a one-time That's pretty thing, ambiguous. Yeah. Now that's what I was trying to figure out. It's just give me an example. So mm-hmm. Go no, ahead. I think it's ten for the first two replacement engines, and then it's five after that. Yep. Formula One engine engine penalties work by giving a driver ten place grid penalty for the race in which they first run their additional engine. The driver will receive an additional five place grid penalty for each additional engine oh. component that is above the season's limit for that component. There you go. Okay, so if, that's why we saw Mercedes take the hit pretty early for the extra engine. I can't remember what race that was. Was it Brazil last year? Or no, no, it was before that. But Hamilton came back from... I thought it was Brazil. No, he, well, the, he did definitely take a new engine in, in Brazil, but I think that was only the five-place grid drop. Because I remember him... It was one of the sprint race weekends, since we're talking about sprint races. He started P20 on the grid because he took a new gearbox also. And in the sprint race, he went from uh, P20 to P5 like five, and then took another additional penalty going into the race, started P10, and then won the race, I think is what we saw. Yeah. Uh, the other crazy component, and I found this on flowracers.com, the blog, so thank you for that. Most teams who are pushing their cars to the limit know they will have to eventually take an engine penalty at some point during the season. 
And they specifically called out that in 2021, they saw Red Bull and Mercedes use their engine uh, penalties strategically. Both teams took their engine penalties when they were at circuits where there was a better chance for them to overtake. Max took his penalty in Russia and went from the back of the grid to second place, whereas Lewis took a lesser penalty in Brazil and still managed to win the race. So what you're saying, Todd, is true. They know what tracks benefit their driving style, and that's where they are kind of take the penalty so to speak because not only does it allow them to eat the cost of starting in the back but it makes them look even more dramatic in terms of how quality they are in terms of being a race car driver yeah i remember that now i remember the max taking an engine penalty in in russia uh because they said that they weren't going to be competitive and um then he still drove it back to p2 I was going to say, and then Mazaspin learned how to read clouds and we were all able to survive that race and become better <laughs> friends for it. <laughs> wonder what Nikita's up to now. Still being a Russian oligarch, I guess. Or oligarch. I feel like son. he's watching Bridgerton on his couch, eating some bonbons. He might be. He's got the weirdest accent. That's Sorry, that's a tangent. No, it's it's fine. This is what we do. Track limits be damned. <laughs> <laughs> he really does have the weirdest weirdest accent it's like sometimes british mostly british but some russian i'll never forget the drive to survive scene when they asked him to say his name and then they asked him to say his name in russian and he just said it basically the same as somebody that's been guilty of putting on a fake indian accent when i talk to my parents on the phone i get it it's hard to kind of code switch as an immigrant kid but yeah like that's what it is as formula one drivers because it's not just him like they all have this amalgamation of it's got a hint of british but then it's got a hint of german and then if you look at it the right direction there might even be a spanish tilt to it so formula one accents the gift that keeps on giving All right, let's 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 talk fantasy. So uh, you, you caught me on the spot here. Um, I don't have our podcast fantasy league updated again. I apologize. I was on on travel last week, but I will check right now the um, the official league uh, for our uh, Discord, which again, I'm stalling for time as I get logged in here. That's fine. I can stall for time for you because I mean, we've got four different leagues. We've got the league that shall not be mentioned where your username is your password. And I was the only one that was impacted by said bug, but I will use this as a opportunity not to give that particular app any sort of promotion because fix your shit. We've also got the draft that the three of us plus Aaron Nojima was a part of. And I have a feeling Aaron's probably in the lead unlike his boy Max Verstappen. So thank you again, Julie, for putting that curse on him. And then we have the traditional Formula One fantasy where we've got it with the members of the Discord. And not only just the members of the Discord, we've got extended family because I think for one point, Nick's brother was leading the race for two out of the three. But anyway, Todd, is that enough time for you or can I keep going? The app is currently down. So Excellent. You know what's going up though? These scores because that's what we're going to do for Formula One fantasy. <laughs> we're going to stay ready. So, how are you feeling, Todd? Do you even remember what's your driver lineup in that particular competition? I just I talked about this a lot on the live stream. I dropped uh, Alonso for Bottas and was painfully regretting it the entire race. 
And then Alonzo DNF'd. So by association, I think Botas got into, what was it, P7. So I think my, so. my fantasy is all over the place. Um, Lord knows where, where it's standing now. I apologize for the technical difficulties. I'll have that queued up next time, next time we record. But I'm not winning. And uh, not, none of us are <laughs> in either of the leagues. So I think last time I checked, uh, was it Nicholas? Nicholas C. I can't remember his name yeah. exactly. Yep. He sends yep. me pictures of his dog because I said he had a cool dog on Discord. <laughs> so he just sends them to me now. Nice. Uh, unrequested. Nice. So shout out to that dude and his dog. Better than a better a dog than anything else. I was gonna say in the grand scheme of things, I'd rather receive random pictures of a dog than a dong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah, I mean, I had I had one of the better uh, race weeks in my in my fantasy league career last week because I had Lewis, Leclerc, Ocon, Magnuson, Yuki, and Ferrari. But this is a fluke. I'll be back towards the bottom. No, of the Nick, grid. it's not a fluke. I'm, I'm going to let you know that it's not a fluke, and I'm going to be aspirational. Okay, you're doing great at this fantasy thing. If you're not last, you're in first as far as I'm concerned, because based on what you've told us, you've always ended up in the back of the pack, and that's not the case. It's not going to happen this year. I'm going to will this. I'm going to put just as much emotional investment into your team than I am my own. So with the power of Julie <laughs> coursing through my own veins, Nick Angval, your team will not be in last place this year. Let's hope so. I have a feeling it could be your brother, Nick. Bold strategy of using the Mega Driver on the first race of the season. So, <laughs> could be. And yeah. Is he still in first place? <laughs> no, no. They were only in first after the first race, I think, then immediately <laughs> dropped to fifth. So, it's, it's funny because it's tough to keep up on all of them, right? Like, we've got, you know, basically three, four going on. And then we had, like, we had like a family, family and friends kind of. Uh, like sidebar thing that was not based on any of the fantasy leagues. So like the points are completely different. We just did kind of like what we all did, but you know, just uh, so I can only imagine, you know, they've got, it's my brother and, and sister-in-law. So they've got three boys and I can imagine that updating, updating the fantasy league for me is incredibly difficult to find time to do because I just don't think about it enough. So I can only imagine with, three little guys running around the house uh, that the, the thought of that doesn't come until just after you've watched qualifying. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can see that. I'm still trying to find it. My goodness, you weren't joking, Todd, this technical delay that I'm feeling right now. Oh, hold up. I'm seven out of 17. That's lovely. And let me see how I did for the standings yeah okay never mind i'm fine seven out of 17 i can build on this i'm solidly in the midfield that's perfect i can't even get mine up i don't know what's going on but i'm not in first no i'll, I'll do a quick todd you've got me you're in sixth place oh right on where's nick you've got me by 11 points nick angval nick angval where, where where the devil is he oh the speeding burritos in 10th place Okay. Out of in last place, Julie Wood. Life comes at you wow. fast. She All did say so. She's in last. 
She's in last, but she's using her powers for good this year, which is making sure that Verstappen continues to Verstappen at every race and not finish. <laughs> so true. She did say so that because I kept giving her a hard time on the the Max DNFs uh, premonitions that that she's also screwing her own fantasy up by by doing yeah. that. So yep, yep. Thank you for your sacrifice, Julie. All right. So what what time is the race this weekend? What time are we going to be live streaming? 6 a.m. Is it really 6 a.m.? I, I, I just checked. Uh, Let me confirm that, but I'm pretty sure it's 6 a.m. So, just a reminder for everyone that qualifying is going to be at 8 p.m. on Friday. So, you have to have your team set before then. Yep. We've got a early start time, 6 a.m. on ESPN. If you're in the States, if you're elsewhere, please consult your local listings. But... Yeah, I may not drink coffee before this season. I may start after this one because the 6 a.m. might be a little rough. Yeah, it's, you're going to be up early. anyway. You got a little one. I probably am. All right. Well, it is what you it can is. you can join us on twitch.com slash exhaust notes. Hit the link in the description to join us in the discord. There's a lot of good conversation. The F1 memes channel is pretty consistently good. And we're going to start dropping some F1 history in there. It's going to be interesting as, as we start to kind of expand on all these conversations and just dive deeper into Formula One. I mean, I'm, I'm learning stuff all the time, so I'm enjoying it. But uh, guys, let them know how can everybody get... can find you. Okay, I'll do that. And then I'll also use this to just quickly get everybody's podium predictions because we do have a race this weekend. You can find me on Instagram at rohadm13 on Twitter at rohizi. And my podium looks like this. I'm going to go Max 3, Russell 2, Signs 1. Leclerc's not making the podium. Oofta. You just put... Uh... It's what I do. All right? I'm Stephen A. I'm Skip. I'm your favorite troll. I'm Nick Wright when it comes to Nikola Jokic. Man, I believe that's two weeks in a row or two races in a row where you said uh, George on the podium. And he was, I was so close to the perfect podium last race. I was very upset about it. Yeah, you were. I'm going to say it's a Ferrari 1 2. Uh, The one being Charles, two being Carlos. And then just to spice things up, I'm going to say it's Sergio P3. Sergio. We're going to have the the battle of the, the number two drivers fighting for the podium there and where can they find you oh that's right i am uh at tzf1 on in, on twitter and at tz on instagram i'm gonna i'm gonna follow todd's lead i'm gonna go leclerc one signs two i think lando's getting his first podium three tatted up <laughs> tatted up that was only good for one race that bet oh <laughs> Uh, you can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms, but more importantly, follow at Exhaust Notes FM on Twitter, on Instagram, twitch.com slash Exhaust Notes, and hit the links in the description to join us in the Discord and have these conversations throughout the week. Thanks for the support. Make sure you leave us a review. We will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Write us a review or Max doesn't finish.